White Sox Weekly. Presented by Miller Lite. The official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSEM 890. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on November the 12th. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've got you for an hour this afternoon here on WLS AM 890. Nice to have you. Uh, live from Phoenix this afternoon, I uh, we took a little trip down to the Arizona Fall League to check in with some of the White Sox prospects playing for the Glendale Desert Dogs. They had a win over the Scottsdale Scorpions last night, 5-3. to three. Got a chance to talk to a few White Sox prospects and kind of get the lowdown on what the Arizona Fall League has been uh, doing for the development of, uh, of Zach Collins and Trey Miacheski, Courtney Hawkins down there as well, uh, and, and a few of those guys in the lineup last night for the Desert Dogs as they had a win. So we'll bring you some of that those conversations throughout the course of the afternoon. Zach Collins and Trey Miacheski. Uh, Collins, of course, the first-round pick of the White Sox in the 2016 draft. He went 10 overall, catcher out of Miami. Nice kid, good guy, uh, and nice to talk to him a little bit about his development over the last couple of weeks and into his uh, his professional career. And Miacheski, a guy who uh, was the one of the more outstanding players in the Arizona Fall League last year and looking to find himself a little bit in this Fall League. Conversations with both of those guys coming up a little bit later in the show. Uh, here's the plan for you as we're live in Phoenix. We, we tweeted it out to you um, throughout the course of the week and all throughout the offseason here on White Sox Weekly. We're going to try and solicit uh, some, some questions, some thoughts that you might have on the White Sox offseason and where things are headed as free agency is, uh, is getting underway and uh, the hot stove is, is heating up as it always does right about this time of year. And we want to get you involved with the show. And I know on, sometimes on Saturdays during the winter, uh, it, it's a little tough to whether you're maybe you're driving around with the kids in the car or maybe you got to work on Saturday. But we're trying to involve on Twitter uh, or get you a, an opportunity on Twitter to get involved with the show. So at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle that we're using uh, for White Sox Weekly and all the White Sox content on WLS AM 890. And you can uh, you can shoot us your tw- questions there. Wanted to f- hear from you about uh, prospects that you might be interested in. Had some questions come in on, on Courtney Hawkins and Travia Chesky, two of the guys that we saw in the lineup last night for the Desert Dogs. So conveniently, I got to see them work in a, in a ball game last night. So we'll talk about them a little bit later in the show and hear from them as well. Uh, and a couple of questions about the offseason in general. So at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle that you can use to get involved with the show. You can always give us a phone call here on White Sox Weekly. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. 312-591-8900. You call us. You'll talk to Justin Basic, and then we'll get you on the air, and uh, and we'll talk White Sox this afternoon. want to let you know as well that uh, you know the White Sox are, are, are doing plenty throughout the offseason. You can join Chicago White Sox Charities for the Holiday Garage Sale on Saturday, December 3rd at Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, That's the old U.S. Cellular Field, of course. Guaranteed Rate Field, that's the new name in there. You take home a piece of White Sox history, including game-used equipment, jerseys, hats, and much more. Entrance to the garage sale is free. For more information, visit WhitesoxCharities.org. A couple of things going on in the past week as uh, as we get closer and closer to the opening of of all-out free agency. Uh, and, and off-season rumor and hot stove stuff. Uh, a couple of things already trickling through. Uh, the Blue Jays have signed Kendris Morales, who spent last season with the Kansas City Royals and uh, hit fairly well in the last 
three and a half months of the season or so after a rough start did Morales. Um, we also had a couple of announcements, and one of them didn't quite go the White Sox way. Mookie Betts won the gold glove out in right field for the Boston Red Sox since the last we talked. Adam Eaton uh, did not get his first gold glove. And you know, I, I talked with Eaton close to the end of last season uh, about his uh, desire to win a gold glove out in right field, his, uh, the fe- quite the fact that he, he did deserve one out there. Uh, Betts had a real nice season, uh, an MVP-type season perhaps. We'll have to see. Um, how those votes trickle in uh, for the American League MVP. But um, for, for bets, congratulations to him. And, and for all the Gold Glove winners, congratulations. Eaton's going to get one if he plays uh, a couple more seasons out in right field. The, the development that he showed um, and, and the, the, I guess, just consistency and range that he showed in right field for the White Sox this last year kind of proved that he's one of did prove that he's one of the better right fielders in all of baseball defensively and had a real good season offensively too. Uh, Betts went on and took that award uh, and is going to win. Uh, the GM meetings wrapped up in Phoenix here, or did win rather. GM meetings wrapped up in Phoenix just a couple of days ago. I got in for the, the final day of GM meetings as everyone was flying out because my timing is impeccable. Uh, but was want to wrap up a couple of things and, and quotes and comments from general manager Rick Hahn in his conversation with some writers and, and reporters, both local and national, about where this offseason or what this offseason uh, may look like for the White Sox as, by and large, uh, the same kind of conversation is, is what we're hearing from the White Sox front office at this point. Uh, I'll read you a couple of quotes this one from a piece uh, that Dan Hayes of Comcast Sportsnet Chicago, csnchicago.com, wrote up. And Han was talking to a couple of reporters uh, when he was just basically asked about the direction, generally speaking, of this offseason. A- as you know, and as it's been talked about quite a bit here on the show and throughout the last couple of months of the season out at the ballpark, um, the White Sox have everything on the table and are exploring as many options as you can possibly think of. And that's a good thing. That's where the team ought to be. Uh, If you're coming off a season like the White Sox had, one where they uh, bought in and were looking to go ahead and push for an AL Central title, push for a postseason appearance, uh, and things fall flat the way they did over the course of the middle part of that season, that May and into June, then you you, you do have to look at your options. And two of the options that the White Sox have, of course, would be some of the better pitchers that have hit the market in a real long time, uh, trade market, I mean, and that being Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. And that's why a lot of writers, every writer in baseball, is uh, is looking at the White Sox as a team that can absolutely shape this offseason to their will if they so choose, if they choose to move some of those guys. Here's the quote from Rick Hahn that, uh, that Hayes wrote up here. We've always been focused on putting ourselves in the best position to win. At the same time, I think we're veering away from the standpoint of looking for stop gaps. And that's something that Han had said right around the deadline. Uh, the White Sox dropped a handful of ball games, and um, as they came back to U.S. Cellular Field at, the, at that time, U.S. Cellular Field, now guaranteed rate field, you're going to have to fix that all season long, um, Han had said that the only thing they took off the table about a week prior to the trade deadline this last year was adding players that would only be beneficial for the rest of 2016. And, and I think when he says uh, looking for stopgaps, that's kind of the same vein of, of, of what he talked about back in July. Uh, I'll continue on with the quote from Han. Uh, a lot of what we did in the last few years 
have been trying to enhance the short-term potential of the club to put ourselves in a position to win immediately. I feel the approach at this point is focusing on longer-term benefits. It doesn't mean we won't necessarily be in a good position in 2017. It means that our targets and whatever we're hoping to accomplish have a little more longer-term fits in nature. So a lot of people have taken that and and kind of looked at it from a, a few different ways, whether it's who you're adding and how you're adding to the ball club around the existing core, Sale, Quintana, Abreu, Eaton, you know the names, and, and the general, uh, Anderson, Rodon, you know that, that general core the White Sox have, the young, controllable, very, very good uh, core of a handful of players, whether that's adding to those with more of the same type via a, a couple of a couple of trades, a couple of additions that you make, you know, a lot like the Todd Frazier deal or a lot like the Brett Lurie deal that brought both of those players to the White Sox last season, but shifting the target a little bit. Instead of grabbing a guy like uh, Frazier, who is, you know, in his age 30 season and, and already an established um, major league veteran, or Lurie, who kind of the same, but a little bit different category, you're, you're looking for guys who are, you know, looking to announce their presence with authority, looking to get into the big leagues and and start kind of making a name for themselves and, and prospects who are on the cusp of, of establishing themselves as major leaguers. And, and whether those trades happen by moving Sale or by moving Quintana or not, uh, it, it certainly seems and it certainly is uh, the case that Rick Hahn has, has kind of announced the, the moving of the target a little bit in what the White Sox are looking for in return for any of those. Now, whether it's a complete rebuild, whether it's um, here or there or here and there, kind of adding and subtracting from from your own roster, your positions of strength to cover some weaknesses, that's still very much up in the air, it seems, and still very much going to depend on on what the White Sox, what the trade market looks like from other ball clubs. Um, I would expect, and this is just my own speculation, this is kind of my own uh, view on the club, and I, I could be wrong, we'll see, but it, it seems to make sense that, you know, the, the White Sox could have made moves at the deadline toward the end of July this, this past year and could have made the big ones. Um, didn't, I think, because, and, and I think when Rick Hahn talks about where they're looking to add or how they're looking to add uh, players to the roster, that the the younger guys, the, the big the Nomar Mazzaros of the world, the Jackie Bradley Juniors of the world, guys whose you know, time has come in the big leagues and are very obviously going to be contributors at the big league level for the next five, six, seven, eight, and nine years. Those guys weren't going to be moved because their teams were making pushes for the playoffs, and they were playing important roles there, whether it be in Texas or whether it be in Houston or whether it be uh, in Boston. All, all three of those teams were making a push to get themselves back into the playoff race in the case of Houston or holding on to their first spa- first place uh, top of the division kind of standings in Boston or whether you're Texas and just winning every one one game you look at. You need no Marmazar if you're there. So I would imagine that those kind of guys, not those three specifically, but those kind of guys are, are targets, are the kind of target that the White Sox may be looking in for to get in return if indeed they do go uh, for the big moves. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. When we get back, bring you a question with White Sox catching prospect Zach Collins. Had a chance to sit down with the 10th overall pick in the 2016 draft uh, just last night. He did not play in the Desert Dogs game 
against uh, the Scorpions last night. And, in fact, the, the prescription for Collins here in the Fall League has been a little different than that of, a, of an everyday catcher. And he and I got into that last night and talked about what he's trying to accomplish, what the organization has kind of set on his plate and what he's trying to do. It's, it's pretty interesting, actually, in that, you know, Collins as a catcher has so much to learn uh, and in a good way. You know, he's, he's there and, and malleable and, and wants to figure out exactly how uh, to accomplish those duties uh, behind the plate and learn to be a better catcher. Uh, plate control and plate discipline, at least uh, when he's got the stick in his hands, seems to be a pretty decent thing. He uh, may have that box checked and, and fairly well for his major league career, but uh, catching behind the plate is something that he's uh, he's got to improve on and wants to do it, and we talked about it last night. We'll bring it to you when we come back. Sox Fest 2017, though, returns January 27th through the 29th, bringing ballpark fun to the Hilton Chicago. You'll score an autograph or photo with current players, coaches, and White Sox greats. Your favorite areas are back with an interactive space to play games and win prizes and shop for team gear. It'll be a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now, so visit whitesox.com slash SoxFest for tickets and, of course, more information. White Sox catching prospect Zach Collins coming up just after the break. I'm Connor McKnight. You have White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, a live edition of White Sox Weekly, live from Phoenix, I guess I should say, here for the Arizona Fall League. Wanted to check out some White Sox prospects and did so last night. The Desert Dogs of Glendale beat the Scottsdale Scorpions 5-3. to three. A two-run shot from Dodgers prospect Cody Bellinger. A moonshot is a huge shot. Uh, and Harrison Bader of the Arizona, uh, rather the, uh, where does he play? Oh, yeah, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals prospect, an outfielder in that organization. A two-out, two-RBI double. Zach Collins uh, was on the bench last night, but has played a couple of ball games so far in the Arizona Fall League. I, I had a chance to sit down with the White Sox top catching prospect and chat a little bit about what the Fall League has been for him and and what he's looking to learn over the uh, the last five and the next week. Here he is, Zach Collins of the Chicago White Sox. Sitting down here with Zach Collins, White Sox catcher in the system, and the first pick for the Sox in last year's draft. Zach, appreciate you sitting down. How is the Arizona Fall League for you? You've played a lot of baseball this year. Yeah, it's been uh, great. I mean, this is kind of the best way to end it and go into the offseason, uh, being able to play with these guys and uh, learn a lot from them and uh, kind of hang around the best talent in the minor league, in minor league baseball. What, what has the process been like for you in the last couple of weeks here in the fall league? I know the focus has so much been on, you know, establishing what that learning curve looks like for you behind the plate, and there's so much work that a catcher has to do. How much more comfortable are you getting? What have you learned about yourself when you're wearing the gear, and uh, what have you learned about uh, seeing other pitchers? Uh, well, I feel a lot more comfortable back there just catching these um, older guys who have a lot of experience and have some good stuff, but um, I think I've learned a lot here from uh, how to deal with pitchers and how to when you should be going out for a mound visit. Uh, I don't know, just kind of building a relationship with them. Uh, it's been great for me because we have two other great catchers on this team that I'm learning a lot from, and um, it's also great because we're at the White Sox facility, so I get to uh, get some extra work with John Orton, our catching coordinator, and um, I don't know, I've been learning a lot. Do you, you, you know, you talk about going out to talk to pitchers and stuff. Do you find that that can be, you know, depending on the guy you're going out to talk to, a little bit of a delicate situation, or is it all kind of situation dependent? Uh, it's situation dependent, but um, it's kind of tough here because you're playing with guys for one month, and yeah. they're all from different organizations, so you can't really 
um, I guess, get a feel for them so quick. And you, you, it's hard to jump on somebody that um, has kind of proven himself in, in minor league baseball and um, you've just met. So um, it's it's mostly just trying to relax them here and um, throwing strikes and getting out. So that's the biggest thing. Real quickly, uh, I noticed at a game last night that um, the Fall League plays with the minor league rules for as far as uh, pitch timing, you know, 15 seconds to get in and out of the box and 35 for the next batter, all that stuff. Have you noticed a difference, you know, being behind the plate like that? I would imagine you're you're in the squat a little less, or, or has that never really been something you've uh, seen a difference in? Um, actually, I mean, it's a little bit faster, but um, to me, I always try to keep the tempo up and, sure. and uh, keep the pitcher throwing and uh, kind of gets everybody into the game and uh, the defense plays better behind you and uh, it's proven to to help a lot so um, it's good that they have it to enforce it to to the guys who like to move a little bit slower and yeah. stuff like that but um, I think it's been great no, I mean I remember kids in high school and I was a little older than you but kids in high school used to do the Nomar thing with the batting gloves and take like seven or eight minutes just to get everything set I mean that's at some point that gets a little tiresome to watch right yeah I mean they have a bunch of rules where you have to stay in the box if you didn't swing stuff like that which is um, to me is great because not only does it keep the pitcher moving it keeps the catcher moving it keeps the game moving everything goes so much smoother so um, it's good going from Miami to the minor leagues and getting into this into the White Sox system um, over the last couple of years, we've seen that you know pitch framing and all this focus on defensively a catcher has been such a huge, huge part of building teams, building winners. What have you learned? Is, is there something that uh, kind of turned a light on, I guess, or, or something you didn't think you knew or didn't think you didn't know about catching in general coming from college to uh, to, to the White Sox minor league systems? Yeah, I think college uh, is a lot about stopping the run game, and I feel like here it's it's a a lot, like you said, about receiving and getting strikes because the umpires are definitely a lot better. Yeah. And guys are more around the zone. You can live on the edge of the zone. So um, that's that's really a big thing, I think, that a lot of teams are looking at now is how many strikes can you get as a catcher and how many runs can you save. So um, I think that the, the whole holding runners on thing is not only the catcher but the pitcher. So it's kind of like you, you have to be an organization that, that holds runners on, I guess. And... Um, it's a lot of guys that steal bags are, are mostly off the pitcher. So um, to us as catchers, yeah, it's great to, to throw a lot of a lot of guys out, but um, getting more strikes is, is probably more important because that changes the game, I think, a lot more. And if, if you and a pitcher are working well together in the first place, you can pretty much dissuade a guy from going. I mean, unless he's Billy Hamilton or something out there, you can slow that game down by just you know holding or varying times, right? Right, yeah, for sure. I mean... If you stay one three or lower as a pitcher to the plate and you pick off once in a while, it's kind of tough for, for guys to steal. And, I mean, yeah, there are those guys like Billy Hamilton and guys that steal a lot of bags, but um, there's only so much you can do to stop them. Yeah. I mean, at that point when you're behind the dish and you know a guy's going to go, whether it's, you know, Billy or somebody else who's really fast, is that just, you know, you just know you got to be on your game. You're going to throw at some point in this at-bat to make it a good one? Yeah, for sure. I mean, but then you don't really want the pitcher – thinking about them too much because then they forget about the hitter and That's then true. then they end up stealing the bag and then you walk the guy because you're down on them 3-0 so I mean I think worrying about the hitters is, is probably a bigger thing than, than uh, guys running on you. It's complicated stuff back there. Yeah I mean you can see I mean John Lester can't even throw to first and and still I mean he still happens to, to be one of the top premier pitchers in the big leagues and 
Um, I mean, it goes to show you getting ahead, get ahead, getting ahead of guys and and getting ground balls and flyouts is, is the way to do it. I think one of the things that uh, has, has struck a lot of White Sox fans after the uh, Sox took you with the 10th pick overall is your control of the plate when you're uh, when you're hitting. Uh, the knowledge of the strike zone and, and a pretty seemingly always high on base percentage. Did you grow up knowing that you could do exactly what you wanted with a baseball when it was in the right spot, or how did your uh, plate discipline, I guess, kind of develop as a hitter? Well, my dad always threw BP to me, and he always kind of—he never just threw it right down the middle. I guess he just wanted to make it hard on me, but it's definitely helped me out. And, and uh, being able to recognize the strike zone, and also being a catcher—I mean, um, you kind of get to get a, get a feel of the umpire strike zone, whether he's calling a ball high, low, outside, inside, whatever. But um, I don't know. It's just something that I'm really good at, and my job is to kind of get on base and, and drive runners in. So. If I do one or the other when I'm up to bat, it's successful. How much have you looked at, uh, I mean, are you, a, are you a stats guy? Did you grow up as, you know, I'm kind of interested in, um, you know, as the youngest players kind of fill in or, or come in, they've been to websites like Baseball Prospectus or Fangraphs or something like that. Some have, some haven't. Is that, has that been a part of growing up with baseball for you? Actually, I haven't. Um, I just always kind of knew that home runs, RBIs, and on-base percentages. Those are winners. Yeah. Those yeah. work well. Keep those up in there, and you'll be good. So that's what I always kind of look at. Mash dingers and take your walks. Yeah. It's probably not a bad diet. Yeah. Uh, last one for you before we let you go. One week left of, uh, of spring or of, uh, spring training, of the Arizona Fall League ball, and the uh, the diet for you has been a little sparse, you know, one or two games, but that's all been planned. Is there a part of you that, that would want to go play a little bit more baseball to see what your results are like against these guys? Or, you know, is, is understanding what the the um, prescription is here pretty well taken in hand for you. Uh, I think there's positives in both. I mean, obviously, I would like to go out there and play, but um, I think the the program that they have me doing right now is is what's going to be the best for me. So I'm doing it to my to my best ability and uh, going out there and learning something new every day. And um, I feel like I can compete with these guys, well, anyway. So. Um, anybody can have a good fall league or a bad fall league, so I feel like this doesn't really determine how good you are as sure. a player. So um, going out there and learning every day in the bullpen is what's uh, been biggest for me. I'm looking forward to keeping it going. We'll see you in spring training, and uh, we'll see how things go from there. Have a great offseason. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's White Sox catcher. Zach Collins, one of the top prospects in the White Sox organization. Uh, thanks to him for sitting down with us here on White Sox Weekly. Talk a little bit about the interview. He mentioned a couple of things that I found pretty darn interesting uh, about his about his workload in the Arizona Fall League and what he's learned and a, as a catcher in the White Sox organization. We'll also hear from Trey Miacheski, a White Sox third base prospect, is also in the Arizona Fall League. The 1230 News is next. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. Well, welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you up until 1 o'clock this afternoon, a special live from Phoenix edition of White Sox Weekly. Made a trip down here to check out the Arizona Fall League and some of the White Sox prospect involved in it. Saw a game last night and was able to uh, see a couple of cool things uh, in the game last night. Cody Bellinger. One of the top prospects in the Dodgers organization hit a two-run shot. Trey Miachewski and Courtney Hawkins were both in the lineup last night, batting uh, 7-8 and eight 
for the Desert Dogs. Uh, no success with the batted ball for Miachewski or Hawkins, though they walked three times between the two of them. Miachewski was 0 for 4 with a walk and did put one uh, deep into right field. He's a Miachewski, who you'll hear from in a couple of minutes, actually, is a switch hitter playing third base last night. Made two good plays, made two rough plays, and that's that's kind of the fun, at least for me, um, and kind of the, the prospect nerd that, that I can be when it comes to baseball. Um, it's fun to see, you know, the highlights and the lowlights for some prospects, regardless of who they are, because I think what becomes so tough to, I don't know, if you ever, if, if you had a, a friend or a family member or something who was recruited to play football in, in college or something like that, and you, you know, the scouting video, the highlight video that you send off to, um, to the scouting department at college or to whatever service that you're trying to use to get recruited. It's a highlight reel, right? It's all the things that you did really, really well. It's all the sick plays that you made. It's the dingers you mashed or, you know, whatever it happens to be. But I think in evaluating a player, I think you need to see uh, some of the struggles too. You have to see how those struggles come about. You have to see what um, the weak points in that game are because you got to know if, if that guy's going to be able to, to shore those weaknesses up. I love coming down to the fall league for that. I love going to spring training for stuff like that and saw some of it last night. Uh, Miachewski, a switch hitter, um, batted left and right last night. Got a couple of uh, different guys uh, coming in out of relief in the latter half of the game. Worked a good walk uh, in the seventh. Tough plate appearance there and flew out to deep right field as a left-handed hitter. Uh, Big, nice uppercut swing. Uh, looked good and has that sweet left-handed kind of look. And and that's weird because, and as you'll hear from Miachewski in a little bit, he came up as a right-handed hitter as a kid but has switch hit since, like, I, I think he's at age 11. So as a young kid, um, has been switch hitting for quite some time. A little bit of pop, too, uh, from the left side, which, which surprised me a little bit being the first time that I went down actually the first time I was able to see Mia Chesky. We'll hear from him in a bit. Uh, but White Sox fans, you don't have to let aches and pains keep you from doing the things that you love to do. You can schedule an appointment at any of our 340 facilities by visiting athletico.com slash appointments. Athletico, the official physical therapy provider of the Chicago White Sox. Athletico, better for everybody. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to that uh, we saw in Chicago this last week, guaranteed rate opened up the gates for the first time as guaranteed rate field and uh, and welcomed in a college football game. It was actually really cool to see. I don't know if you were able to uh, to check it out, uh, but it was the Maction Toledo over NIU 31 to 24. Jason Benetti, who of course is the voice of the White Sox and does the play-by-play for home broadcasts on the tel- on the TV side of things, called the game at guaranteed rate field. And that was I, I don't know, for me it was really cool to see uh, a football game. It, it had the some of the logistical challenges that placing a football game in a baseball stadium always has. You know, you got to find a little extra room in the back of the end zone. It's uh, it, it's tight up there against the right field wall. That's how the field went. It was um, from the right field wall, uh, and, and that far. You know, if you're moving from left to right on the football field, uh, that end zone and corner was tucked up against the right field foul pole and came all the way back to home plate like that. Game looked good. It was put on really well. It was an entertaining one, too. A lot of scoring, 31-24, and a last-minute touchdown from Toledo won it. So, unfortunately, for the uh, the home team, NIU, no win there. But it was cool to see because, you know, NIU is a bunch of uh, uh, local kids, some um, Chicago kids coming up. Uh, Kenny Galladay, who caught a touchdown, uh, actually caught 14 
for 149 yards and a touchdown was uh, a St. Rita guy. So an, an Ed Farmer friend, I'm sure, Kenny Galladay. Uh, was uh, playing for NIU and back in his hometown and playing at Guaranteed Rate Field uh, just this past week. Really cool to see and, and something I wanted to mention there. Uh, before we get to, to Trey Miachewski, a conversation that I had with the White Sox third base prospect just last night, um, want to let you know where we're headed uh, toward the end of the show. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Had a couple of uh, free agent signings that aren't necessarily going to shape the market, but some interesting uh, interesting kind of pieces moving around the chessboard here as the offseason starts to heat up. And the White Sox claimed uh, a familiar name off waivers. We'll let you know exactly who that was in case you missed it. Uh, that's coming up uh, a little bit later on in the show. Right now, though, uh, as we mentioned, Trey Miachewski, White Sox prospect, took a couple of minutes for us last night before the Desert Dogs took on the Scorpions uh, and won 5-3 to three in Scottsdale. Uh, so here he is, Trey Miachewski. So, sitting down with uh, White Sox prospect Trey and the most difficult last name to pronounce in the system, and I'm going to give it a shot, Trey Miachewski is what I hear. Go ahead, fix it. No, you, you hit it spot on. Miachewski, I mean, you're, you're pretty close. So, to, I think a lot of White Sox fans, you know, looking through the system and everything, know you because of the last name, the C's and the Z's. Uh, but let's talk a little baseball, too. Playing third and, and working here in the Arizona Fall League, wrapping up here with one more week left. What's it been like for you over the last five or so? What have you learned about uh, about your game? I've learned a lot. Um, about this time of the year, you're tired um, mentally and physically. Um, you, you learn how to grind through it, um, and I think that's helped just kind of being here last year, kind of knowing how it goes. Um, yeah, and just say it's more of a mental grind. Um, but, no, I learned a tremendous lot about myself, so, um, yeah. Just, uh, just got to keep grinding. What do you view, uh, you know, because guys come down here sometimes with, like, uh, maybe assignments is a bad way to put it, but, like, things that you know you need to work on from the organization, whether that's a very specific thing or just in general, knowing that when you get out to third base defensively you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. Did you come down here with a checklist on your own from the organization? Um, more of on my own. Yeah. Um, just things I think I need to work on. Sure. Um, obviously, you can work on something every day. Um, polish up everything you can. Because um, obviously, I'm here for a reason. So, uh, no, I just came out here uh, with a checklist of my own uh, and working hard every day to accomplish my what I have on that list. What do you see? I mean, when we uh, look at the pitchers that are in this uh, in the Arizona Fall League, there are some serious names. And one of the guys that's going to go for you. Uh, tonight, actually, in uh, in Martes, and he's got some solid stuff. You've seen some pretty good pitchers. Have you, you know, is it a step up in in arms from what you've seen, or or are we just seeing kind of the cream of the crop from some of the minors? Um, I think this is the cream of the crop. Uh, you've seen some of these guys during the year, sure. Um, but it, it, there's not a weak point in anybody's rotation. Um, everybody's good here, and it's tough. Um, but it also helps you kind of learn, you know, what big league pitching is like because there's no one easy up there either. So, Are, are you uh, getting more comfortable facing guys that are, you know, same-handed, that kind of thing? I've, I've heard from some minor leaguers, you know, whether it's right on right or left on left, you know, that kind of transition or, or process, that the minors uh, specifically stepping up in levels really is kind of that that's that next piece of transition for guys same way for you or a little different um well it's a little different because I switch hit yeah. so um it it's i mean it's still tough it's um i mean i'm getting comfortable with it obviously you know you play more games it's more experience but 
Um, I think it helps being here because it's obviously the best pitching, um, and guys have really good stuff, electric stuff, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, but it's I'm starting to get comfortable with it. So. There's a lot of talk in the, in the playoffs about a couple of switch hitters. The Indians had a ton of them. Uh, Dexter Fowler for the Cubs didn't start switch hitting until he got to the minor leagues, which is just a ridiculous story to me. How long have you been switch hitting? Uh, which side do you like? hitting from more or is that even a fair thing to say uh i'll just go with whatever i'm feeling comfortable that day uh no i i like hitting from both sides actually um it's tough because it's obviously double the workload um and if one swing's not feeling good then the other swing's probably not feeling good either but uh i think it's a it's a good problem to have because you can stay in the lineup almost every day yeah um you don't have to play a matchup there really um, but I started switching when I was 11. I was actually just messing around. Um, I'm naturally right-handed. I was just messing around hitting left-handed, and I could do it. So I just I stuck with it. It was hard, but it's uh, it's still it's it's a work in progress. Do you throw left-handed? No, I throw right-handed. Yeah, but can't like, oh, can you? Can I? Yeah. Because uh, I look like a, a small child when I try and throw left-handed. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit. Some days I can. Some days I can't. But. Uh, it's not something I really work on that much. I was uh, was reading about a player in the 40s. His name escapes me, but he actually did play shortstop throwing left-handed. Can you imagine doing it? No, that'd be tough. It's weird turn angle. on everything, right? Yeah, it's a weird angle. Be weird. Uh, let's see. Wrapping up in the in the Arizona Fall League, one week left. What does your – I mean, obviously this is I, – I don't want to put words in your mouth. This isn't like school. Like, you're probably not praying for the end of this thing. But at the same time, an offseason is a valuable part to a baseball player's development. Uh, what are you looking forward to when this offseason hits? And will you look back at the Arizona Fall League specifically or your season on a whole? Um, well, first of all, I'm looking forward to the offseason. It's nice to get a break and relax and guys need that. rest up. Um, but, no, just kind of look back on everything. You learn, obviously, here, and you learn during the season kind of what you're made of and um, just look over it during the during the off season when it's time to get going with baseball stuff, and just go from there and work as hard as you can. Trey, really appreciate you sitting down. We will see you in spring training. That's Trey Miacheski, White Sox third base prospect. Had a chance to chat with him uh, last night before the Desert Dogs took on the Scorpions. If you're unfamiliar with um, the Arizona Fall League, we've talked about it a couple of times on the show. But uh, basically, six different teams send prospects to one Arizona Fall League team. There's six of those. And then uh, the mashup of prospects get put together into a ball club. Desert Dogs have the White Sox prospects. They took on the Scorpions last night. Niachewski played third. I was pretty impressed by the uh, his ability to move around at third. Instincts were pretty good. He uh, did boot one ground ball, trying to go to his right, just kind of let it handcuff him a little bit, a short hop. Made some good throws over at third base, however, and was able to snag a, a pretty hard-hit liner uh, that was over his head, leaped, leapt up and grabbed it. So that was a pretty good play there. And as I mentioned, and as he talked about, Trey's a switch hitter over at third base. And he rode one out to uh, to right field, nearly got it out. This one was, I, I would imagine that, you know, in Arizona, the ball flies pretty far. Uh, you don't have to quite get into it the way you would in, oh, I don't know, San Francisco or something. But uh, at night in Arizona, it's not quite the flight uh, it's not quite the the, the 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 air density, I guess, that it is during the day. Maybe during the day that ball goes. Uh, but last night it was about mm, five, six, seven feet shy of the wall out there in right field. He hit it left-handed. Uh, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers I was pretty impressed by. That's a prospect that, you know, as the Dodgers look to 
revamp their roster a little bit, a playoff appearance and losing to the Cubs in the NLCS. But they're going to lose uh, or will likely lose Rich Hill to free agency, so they're looking to shore up their uh, starting uh, starting pitchers and rotation a little bit. wonder if Cody Bellinger is a guy who played first base last night, which I was a little bit surprised about, although with the Dodgers having the outfield kind of loaded at the major league level, maybe Bellinger has to play a position or two uh, to figure some things out or, or to, to be a little bit more versatile and, and get up to the big leagues. Bellinger has some serious power. He was fun to watch, drove a two-run homer out to right field, absolutely crushed this ball. Uh, but you have to wonder if, if Bellinger might be on the move or a prospect the Dodgers use to go ahead and uh, fix a couple of positions of need or maybe pick up a starting pitcher this off season. Uh, the most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with MLB.com at bat. It is the number one app for live baseball. With it, you enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game day scores, stat cast, live radio broadcasts, and more. Get MLB.com at bat on your favorite devices right now. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Week. we got a couple of minutes left with you before 1 o'clock rolls around. Get to some of your questions that you posted on Twitter. You can uh, still submit a question or two at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle, or you can just hit us on the phone number. Your chance to join the show coming up next on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to the final segment of White Sox Weekly here on November 12th. Thanks for hanging out with us throughout the course of the afternoon. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can shoot us a question or a thought or whatever on Twitter, at C1McKnight. However you want to – I don't mean to define what you how you want to involve yourself with the show. That's not for me to do. That's for you to establish. At C1McKnight on Twitter is the handle and the phone number, 312-591-8900. Before we get to uh, some of your questions that you dropped off on the Twitter monster, uh, White Sox fans, don't let aches and pains keep you – from doing the things you love to do. Schedule an appointment at any of our 340 facilities by visiting athletico.com slash appointments. Athletico is the official physical therapy provider of the Chicago White Sox. Athletico, better for everybody. A uh, couple of dates of significance that I wanted to get to. Kind of want don't want to move past and, and not let you know exactly what's coming up for the White Sox and throughout Major League Baseball. Um, November 14th is the next big deadline this offseason. That is the deadline for free agents to accept or reject the qualifying offer. White Sox didn't put a qualifying offer on anyone, so it doesn't necessarily um, pertain to their plan uh, of, of already controlled players, but there are a couple of qualifying offer guys that, depending on the offseason plan for the White Sox, might be guys that you uh, would perhaps go and grab. I'm talking about guys like Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion, perhaps, um, of the Toronto Blue Jays, who, well, whose future kind of got put into a little bit of a, a side spin with the signing of Kendris Morales by the Blue Jays this last week. Morales and Encarnacion and Bautista all kind of, now I don't mean to say that they're the same player production-wise, of course, but they are all kind of that same guy, a slugger who doesn't have really a, a great defensive position and mostly a first base and corner outfield DH kind of guy. So we'll have to see where the Blue Jays are headed um, and whether they retain Jose Bautista and Edwin Arncanacion. November 14th is the deadline for both of those gentlemen to decline the qualifying offer, which I would expect 
they'd both do. Also on November 14th, you get to find out if Tim Anderson got any votes for Rookie of the Year. And on November 16th, we find out exactly where Chris Sale and Jose Quintana finished in the AL Cy Young Award voting. Uh, neither of them are finalists. The three of those are uh, not uh, Jose Quintana or Chris Sale. It's uh, Rick Porcello and Justin Verlander. And, uh, so they're not going to be finalists, but they'll finish in the top ten of voting for sure. A couple of questions we got on Twitter and elsewhere uh, pertaining to a, a couple of White Sox prospects as we're down here for the Arizona Fall League and checking some things out. One on Courtney Hawkins. Can Courtney Hawkins become a consistent um, baseball player, professional baseball player, uh, was was the way the question was put. So I imagine you know, the, the question was more, you only get 140 characters, more about can he find consistency at a, at a level in the minor leagues. And I think what's what's I forget about Courtney Hawkins is how young he is. Um, he turns 23 today, in fact. So happy birthday to Courtney Hawkins. Saw him play last night. Um, did not put bat on baseball. Did walk, however, twice. Uh, so his uh, fourth and fifth walks of the Arizona Fall League. Um, and in 60 at-bats, 60, well, let's see, 62 at-bats now, uh, you'd like to see the on-base percentage tick up some. He still does have pop, and I and I think that's something that you know is is definitely worth noting. When Courtney Hawkins puts the bat into the baseball, it can absolutely jump. Uh, I saw it in spring training just this past spring. The pop is still there. He's a pretty okay outfielder. Lost one in the lights last night in the first, uh, but was able to find it uh, after it came through the the ray of light. Um, Courtney Hawkins is one of those guys, a first-round pick for the White Sox, who's uh, 13th overall in the 2012 draft, who's got potential but seems to, you know, every time he steps up in some production and seems to find a little bit of consistency, there's a little bit of a backslide, and that's what 2016 was for him at AA, um, kind of a, a, a drop in some of the consistency that he perhaps found in the 2015 season. I think this next year is, is going to be a big one for Courtney Hawkins. You know, can you put some things together and exactly what does that assignment look like? Is it another another year of double A? Or is it uh, or is it a triple A assignment and a make or break kind of year for Courtney Hawkins? You hear the music, and that means we are just about out of time. I want to thank White Sox prospects Zach Collins and Trey Miacheski for sitting down with us before last night's ball game here in Phoenix. And uh, we brought you that on the show. You can hear all of our interviews and the entire show on the podcast, WLSAM.com slash White Sox. You can check it out there. Um, you can find us on Twitter, at C1McKnight. We will be back next week for another edition of White Sox Weekly, noon to one, here on WLSAM 890. Thanks to Justin Basic, our producer, and have a wonderful Saturday afternoon.